Lord, it is indeed a privilege to have this day of all the days of the week to gather together as your people to hear from your word which feeds us well and to approach your table which feeds us well of your amazing grace. And as we look at this familiar story to many of us, I pray you would give us renewed eyes, renewed affections, new ears to hear what you would have for us so that we might be the 21st century disciples that would be contagious to one another and others regarding your amazing grace. Give us new hearts, Lord, in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever played Candyland with your kids or grandkids? You know, shoots and ladders, they're all the same, and they're boring, so boring. My, my granddaughter, Idabel, loves to play Candyland with Kim, and it's the same concept as shoots and ladders. You're always going up or you're down, right? And so Idy makes it a trick, you know, she rolls a five or whatever, and she moves it six spaces so as not to go on the down one, and might move it ahead of space to go on the up one, and it's like shoots and ladders. You know, you're either going up and down, all the time, right? Well, in the story of Joseph, he's going up and then down, isn't he? He goes up in the eyes of his father as the loved and favored son. Then he goes down through the hatred of his brothers who throw him into the pit to be sold off into slavery. He goes up in the eyes of Potiphar, as Catherine read for us this morning. He becomes the overseer of all that Potiphar has. And then he goes down at the hand of Potiphar's wife. His life is all over the board, isn't it? And the story reminds us whatever happens in the course of our lives, what we need to see is God is in the midst of them, whether we're on the ups or the downs of our lives. Because here's Joseph, and Joseph is teaching us that God brings tests to the man or woman that he uses and he uses the man or woman that he tests. And the whole point of the story is that with God, silence is not absence. It's not impotence. And when God actually seems most hidden, he's actually working the most for us. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 39. If you're a guest here this morning, it's in the back of your bulletin. And today, we're going to see Joseph tested with great temptations. And those temptations are power, sex, and then the hardest temptation of them all, which we'll get to. Power, sex, then the hardest one of them all. So let's look at this. First, we have the temptation of power. Verses 1 through 6, we read this section, and we're feeling bad for Joseph, right? He's just been hauled away to a culture that's not his own. There's no, you know, uh, believers of Yahweh around him. Not like him at all, but God was with him. Did you notice that? Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph had actually gotten, because of this favor that God was with him, immense power. 
Don't be fooled by the word overseer in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. That word in the Hebrew overseer is the same word that's used for Joshua in his relationship with Joseph. So really, Joseph was not just a personal assistant. He was the COO of a major business venture. All right. The whole estate. And therefore, he had power in the household that nobody else had. I mean, Potiphar trusted him entirely to everything. How does he use his power? To bless. Uses power so that a society that did not acknowledge God and master, they did not, he blessed them by the use of his power. So God calls Joseph first and foremost to be a very successful businessman. And later on, as we know, he'll use these skills in a governmental position in which he'll save thousands of lives because he knows how to use such power. And God can use you, men and women, in every sphere of life to do amazing thing as you do what Joseph did with the power he's given you to bless others. He took up power, but he was not taken up by power. He was not co-opted by the power that he had, as we will see Potiphar's wife do, right? St. Augustine wrote about this in the City of God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You might remember Augustine says every human city, there's really two cities. There's the City of God and the earthly city, the City of Heaven in the city of earth. He says what marks the citizens of these two cities is of supreme motive. The supreme motive of the citizens of heaven is to go forth and be a blessing. The supreme motive of the citizens of the earthly city is love of self. And Augustine says the practical difference between these two citizenries is how they use power that they've been given. The citizens of the city of God are the very best citizens of the earthly city because in every area in which they dwell, be it medicine, law, business, the arts, the home, everywhere they go, they're using the power and the authority that they're given not to serve themselves but others. It's not easy, but it's extremely difficult to take up power and yet not be co-opted by power. And we've all known such examples from good and bad teachers growing up to employers that we've worked for, politicians that we've prayed for and served under, right? There's those who get power and use it corruptly. It was, it's a wonderful example to see Ebenezer Scrooge and the first ghost that comes and takes him away on his night adventure when she takes him back to Fezziwig's, right? Mr. Fezziwig is throwing the Christmas party. And you can see and you can hear in Dickens' writings how his heart is being warmed. And he utters the words, what a wonderful man. And the ghost says, what's so wonderful about him? 
He's only spent a few pounds of your mortal money. What is that worth of such worthy praise? And Ebenezer says, he has the power to make our work a pleasure or a burden. It's got nothing to do with money. Mr. Fezziwig got it, didn't he? A wonderful man because he didn't allow the authority that had been given him by God to corrupt him, but to be a blessing to others. And as citizens of heaven, we're called to make our world, like Mr. Fezziwig, a pleasure for others. What would they do without him? Like Joseph. But as you heard, there's one person in this scenario that takes her power and misuses it. And that's the second test for Joseph, the temptation of sex, verse 7 through 12. Now, I must tell you, the English translation, lie with me, really doesn't quite get at the, at the forcefulness of what she's saying. In Hebrew, the best way to render this is like, sex, now. It's really that raw and forceful. She's saying this to him, and we laugh about that, of course, but it's really about power. She's using her power to take a servant of her household and use him for her own needs. This is, a, of course, is a portrayal of a, her husband. It would be adultery, but she is used to getting her power, to using her power to get what she wants, to getting her needs met. Of course, it's adultery. Of course, it's wrong, but it's so much more than that that's going on here for Joseph. And of course, biblically speaking, it's not just wrong to have sexual intimacy with someone you're not married to. But if you want to grasp the biblical sexual ethic, just 1 Corinthians 6, Paul alludes to this story. And he lays out the principle of the gospel approach to sexuality. That in intimacy, the two become one flesh, and therefore any relationships outside the marital covenant are non-committal. And Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, you must only give yourself to the one to whom you completely belong. That's the ethic. He's not just resisting and having great self-control, although he is. He's not merely suppressing his urges. He's not looking inside himself to suppress his desire for her. He's looking outside of himself in his desire for God. Notice what it says in verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He doesn't mention Potiphar. <laughs> he does talk about his master in the earlier sentences. My master's given me everything. I have more power in this house than he does. He's entrusted me with everything. But then how then can I do this wickedness against God? He doesn't look inside. He says, how can I trample on the God of my life? Because here's how self-control and temptation against anything we are tempted with, quite frankly. It's not just 
sex. Genesis 29, the story of Jacob, Joseph's father, and Rachel. Jacob fell in love with Rachel, but in order to get Rachel as his wife, he had to work for Laban, her father, for seven years. Remember that? Seven years. That takes a lot of self-control. You probably want to quit. You probably want a vacation. You probably want a break. At least some kind of benefit package here, right? Nope. Work. Get to work. And here's what the text says. Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. Why is that self-control? He served seven years to get Rachel, and they only seemed a few days because of his love for her. You see, Jacob had the normal kinds of things his heart desired, and we all desire a little bit of leisure, a little bit of vacation, a break, a little self-pity. He wanted many things, but not like he wanted Rachel to be his wife. He had one overmastering desire that put all the other desires of his heart in their proper place. Self-control is not basically the will suppressing the desires of the heart, but it's all the desires of the heart being reordered. All the loves of the heart being reordered by an overmastering, passionate, supreme love for God. That's what Joseph is doing here with the temptation for sex. And we know Joseph, out of principle, because he, he ran away, he fled from the temptation when she trapped him, was thrown out in prison and was numbered among the transgressors. Even though he wasn't a criminal, was thrown into the jail with the other criminals. He wasn't guilty And yet, he came and was thrown in with the guilty. Like Eric Little, the great Olympian sprinter, who wouldn't run on Sundays for the Olympics. His event was the 100 meters. He said, it's the Lord's day. You know, it's not for my purpose. It's his day, not mine. And so they said, well, you put us in a pickle here, Eric. You're our number one sprinter. He goes, let me run the 400. Okay, run the 400. They switched them. He won the gold in the 400. God honored it. And he spent the rest of his life as a missionary in China. Did you know that? And did you know when the Japanese invaded in World War II and the American government, the British government, they said, get out. He stayed. Because the people to whom he ministered to, he he loved and blessed and served. And he died in a Japanese prisoner war camp. A life well lived. How could I do this wicked thing against God? And so Joseph is unjustly placed into prison. And honestly, I, I, th- I think Potiphar knew exactly what his life, wife was like. Because, think about it, if, 
he really believed her, in the ancient world, he would have had Joseph killed. But he doesn't. He throws him into jail. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, oh girl, you did it again. You put me in a pickle. The best of the best of the best COO I've ever had. And now I gotta make a decision. Throws him in jail. Tough spot. Which leads to the third temptation, which is the worst of all. The temptation to despair. The hardest temptation is the temptation to despair when you've resisted all other temptations and your life still goes bad. Goes off the rails. You've been faithful to the Lord. Everything goes wrong and you're left with ashes. What do you say to that? Stay tuned. Come back next week. All right? We have Joseph's story. That's the whole point. Here's what's so intriguing. You and I have the perspective of Joseph's life. Joseph doesn't. That is, we know if Joseph had not gone into this prison, if Potiphar's wife had not approached him and done this awful thing to him, he never would have met the king's prisoners. Did you read that? He was in the king's prison. And if he had not been in the king's prison, he wouldn't have raised up to become the prince of Egypt. He probably would have risen up to a real high standing in Potiphar's house. But God had more for him. And he never would have been able to save the thousands of lives that he did. God saved him through this tragedy, as well as in the tragedy. And notice the narrator says, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. Verse 29, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. They could trust him. Why? The Lord was with him. So as the story unfolds, God was with him and gave him success. And what this means for us is come what may, nothing can derail God's quiet care for you and the ultimate plan for your life. Don't forget the ultimate Joseph. He lived a perfect life, resisted all temptation had to stand before an unjust judge in front of a corrupt family who made false accusations about him. Went to the cross on our behalf, and yet there was a resurrection, and there'll be a resurrection for you too. You say, well, great, Gene, that's Joseph, but what about me now? Well, I don't have your book, but we got Joseph's book. And this tells each and every one of us how God works in every single one of our lives. Hymn writer William Cooper was greatly prone to depression. He was not a fun guy to be around. 
but he wrote phenomenal hymns because when he came out of his depressed states, he wrote some of the greatest hymns that we sing. Listen to these words. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind his frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. There's good news in Joseph's story for each and every one of us. Hang with us. It's going to be glorious to see how God uses the situation for the glory of God and the preservation of his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful perseverance that Joseph has demonstrated for each and every one of us. And we're so glad that you don't say to us, simply copy him. You say, look to me like Joseph did. And therefore, we can withstand the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Lord, we know that you're in and moving in our lives even when we can't sense it. And so, Lord, we come to your communion table this day, and we pray that you will make very real to us the love of God in Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. For that's what we need to resist the temptation of power, sex, and even more so of despair. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us all live our lives in the knowledge of what your son Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.